Welcome to The Daily Cut, a podcast of Park Community Church. I'm Amber Smith, and I serve on the leadership team at our Norwood Park location. And throughout this season, we wanted to create something consistent that would help add a little sense of rhythm to life. And so to do that, we've been posting short devotionals every day. We hope you'll join us and that you'll enjoy listening. This is The Daily Cut, and I'm Amber Smith. Today, we're continuing our journey through the book of Acts. I really love this series. I think the book of Acts is one of my favorites. It's filled with so much action and life and excitement as we see the church being established and the Holy Spirit fanning the flame of the gospel as it's being spread from one place to another place and from one people group to another people group. Today, we're going to be talking about chapters 13 and 14, but I just want to set us up a little bit and I want to remind us of some of the things we've already looked at in the book of Acts. You'll remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we learned that Jesus told his disciples that they would be his witnesses in an ever-widening circle from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, and finally to the ends of the earth, the Gentiles. In Acts 9, we learn about the conversion of, of, the, of Saul from being one who is persecuting Christians to being one who is called to make more Christians and to spread the gospel to the Gentiles throughout the Roman Empire. In chapter 10, the gospel breaks through the Gentile barrier even more as Peter receives a vision and is told to go and preach the gospel to the Gentile named Cornelius and his household. And then in chapter 11, some Jewish disciples begin to preach the gospel to the Gentiles in Antioch of Syria, just about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, and for the first Gentile church to be established there in Antioch. Now, now Barnabas and Saul end up working with the Gentile church in Antioch, and that's where we find them here in chapter 13. So I want you to read with me verses 1 through 4, because this is the time when Paul is being sent out on his very first missionary journey. So let's let's hear how that happens exactly. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. In these two chapters, we're going to read about a day that changed not only the trajectory of Christian missions, but of history itself. Luke identifies these five men, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manian, and Saul, who were all prophets and teachers in the church at Antioch. I think it's possible that that day, the whole entire church might have been worshiping and fasting and praying, and then Luke mentions these five men so that we know that when the Spirit says to the gathered church, um, he, He confirms it by both the leaders and the church itself. And as as they're worshiping together and the Holy Spirit tells them to set aside Barnabas and Saul for the work He has called them to do. The Spirit doesn't give them a travel itinerary. He just says, set them apart 
and send them out. And in faith, that's just what the church does. They lay hands on Barnabas and Saul, and they send them out, trusting that the Spirit that has called them will also guide and direct them in the future. Let me just pause here and say that the Holy Spirit has to be a vital part of our lives as decisions we make both in the church and and as individuals. We should be seeking and listening for the direction and the leading of the Spirit, both corporately and individually. When we're making decisions, we should weigh the practical considerations. We should seek wisdom and we should get good counsel, but we should also be praying and we should be listening for the Holy Spirit to tell us what to do. What the Spirit did in chapter 13 wasn't a matter of one person hearing something and then setting out, but it was a matter of many mature believers together hearing from the Holy Spirit and then acting on it. We we also see in this passage what I believe is a healthy pattern for those who feel called to ministry. Saul and Barnabas didn't send themselves out. Though they must certainly have felt the Holy Spirit's calling for themselves, but they their internal sense of call was submitted to and affirmed by the church and its leaders. If you're feeling an internal sense of calling to vocational ministry, praise God. Pursue that calling. Pursue that by reaching out to, to healthy leaders within your church to help you confirm and affirm that calling on your life. And then pursue it because the Lord is working and stirring and moving His church to grow it um, in, in this season and in, the, in this generation. Paul and Barnabas here were sent out on what would be for Saul the first of three missionary journeys. Up until now, the gospel has been primarily confined to Israel and Syria, lying just north of Israel. But now, Barnabas and Saul are setting sail across the Mediterranean Sea for Asia Minor. And first, they're stopping on the island of Cyprus. It can be helpful to just pull out a map in these times when we're talking about all of these different locations, because as you hear and see the, the map, you can find out exactly what they were doing and where they were going. And as they were preaching the gospel, it attracted the interest of government officials, of one in particular government official named Sergius Pallius, and that infuriated a Jewish magician who had used sorcery to win prestige and position alongside the proconsul. And he sees his status as being threatened by the preaching of Saul. And, you know, right here, actually, we're going to see that Saul, his name is being changed from Saul, who was the persecutor of of the Christian faith. And now his name, his Roman name is Paul. And so from here on out, we're going to see that name, the man named Saul now being referred to the name Paul. And as he is Paul, the apostle Paul, we know that he has um, written numerous um, New Testament books of the Bible, and he is one of, uh, you know, the most well-known missionaries from the, the time of the Bible. And here, and here we see that this magician is threatened by the preaching of Saul and Barnabas, and he tries to turn the proconsul away from the gospel. But Paul confronts him by the power of the Spirit, and he blinds this magician for a time. This demonstration of the power of God and the preaching of God's word convinces this proconsul, Sergius Pallius, and he believes in Jesus Christ. 
Then from there, from Cyprus, they set sail to Perga, where which is on the southern tip of Asia Minor. And as they set foot on the continent of Asia Minor, they are in uncharted territory. No Christian has ever set foot on this island before. Stretching before them is unknown and dangerous territory. It's possible that it was more hostile land, and and Barnabas's young cousin, John Mark, who had accompanied them to this point, turns back and heads back to Jerusalem. You'll hear more about him in a couple of chapters, but I just wanted to throw that out there, that this is the time when John Mark heads back to Jerusalem. From there, from Perga, they head north to Antioch in Poseidon, and and this is a different Antioch than they started out in, and, and there are so many people that come out to hear the preaching of Christ that the Jews get jealous, and they begin to contradict and revile Paul. And in response, Paul declares that he will preach to the Gentiles instead of the Jews, which makes the Jew, the Gentiles really glad, but the Jews increase their persecution and finally drive them out of the city. So then they have to head eastward to a city named Iconium. Once again, they find great success at first, and then fierce opposition, and, and hearing that they are going to be stoned, they flee to another city called Lystra. In Lystra, things get a little crazy, kind of exciting. Um, On arriving at Lystra, Paul sees a lame man crippled from birth, and he hears Paul's preaching Christ. Paul sees that this man's faith is able to help heal him. And so, by the power of God, Paul heals this lame man. But the Lysonians were very pagan and very superstitious, and they had a legend that many years ago, the gods Jupiter and Mercury had come to a region near them disguised as mortal men. They sought hospitality from the people, but were sent away empty-handed a thousand times until they finally came to a poor couple living in a poor cottage who took them in and shared all that they had with them. Jupiter and Mercury rewarded this poor couple, but sent floods to kill those people who didn't take them in. And this is all like a mythical, superstitious story that they they had believed. But at this time, when Paul comes and he heals this lame man, they're convinced that the gods have returned and they aren't going to make the same mistake they, they made the last time. And so it took everything in Paul and Barnabas that they could do to convince these men, these people, not to worship them as gods. But then some Jews traveled from Antioch to Lystra to persuade them against Paul and Barnabas. And so they go from being worshiped as gods to being stoned and being left for dead. Isn't it amazing how fickle we can be? One minute we are praising and honoring and and giving um, and and going after these things, and then the next minute we turn on a dime and we're, we're, we're stoning the very ones who are bringing this gospel to us. So they leave Paul for dead, but he rises up and they move on to Derby, a town, one town over. They have preached the gospel in very pagan cities to people who have never heard the gospel before. And in verse 23, we see the pattern of ministry they followed in order to establish the gospel in pagan lands and not have their labor be in vain. They preached the gospel, they planted churches, 
They appointed elders in every one of those churches. And then, after working hard to teach and disciple and establish viable churches in these dangerous lands, they entrusted them to God, and they left. I believe this pattern is a relevant pattern for the church today, as it was in the New Testament. Let's consider briefly each of those four aspects of their missionary strategy. First, they preached the gospel. They preached it clearly, and, and, and many came to faith in Christ through the gospel. They preached the gospel boldly and uncompromisingly in the face of fierce opposition and persecution. Although in our country we don't see the kind of persecution that Paul faced and other parts of the world still face, but there still are strong currents of opposition to the gospel in this country. Right now, there's a growing movement to replace the gospel of Christ with the message of universalism, that everyone is saved and no one goes to hell in the end. But friends, this is false, and the church needs, needs to be fiercely committed to preaching the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter what the opposition. So first, they preached the gospel boldly. Then they planted churches. Planting churches is the pattern that the Holy Spirit established in the New Testament for evangelism and for strengthening those who came to Christ. Preaching the gospel and planting churches go hand in hand, and they're the most effective way to ensure that the gospel will last. Because we were made for community. We were made for a commitment to one another, and the gospel is not meant to be lived out in isolation. We're meant to come together and to serve those around us and to grow and spread the faith of the gospel to, to others. So if we love the gospel and we love making disciples, we will love the church because it's the vehicle that Jesus created to evangelize and to make disciples. If we love the church, we should love church planting. So they preached the gospel, they planted churches, and now Paul establishes leaders. As they doubled back through those churches, they provided for those churches by appointing men as elders or shepherds to feed and care for and serve and protect those churches. Notice that they appointed elders in every church. They didn't leave any church leaderless. And notice that they appointed elders plural in every church. There are few tasks as important for the church leadership as prayerfully weighing and raising up elders. Paul and Barnabas were not foolish, but they were operating with faith as well. Appointing the leaders that God desires is one of the best ways to care for and prepare a local church for the future. Leaders that don't lord it over, don't intimidate, don't fleece the flock for their own selfish gain, but rather feed the flock and serve the flock and care for the flock and protect the flock as Jesus, the chief shepherd, does. Not perfect men, but men who are sinners, who are saved by grace, and who are gifted and called by God for the noble task that he's called them for. So, they preach the gospel, they plant churches, they establish leaders, and then they entrust these churches to God. They did everything they could to safeguard the church, but finally, they left the churches and entrusted them to God. They weren't the pastors. They were the apostles. That, that is what God had called them to do. Paul would come back later to see how these churches were doing, but he never stopped caring for or caring about them or carrying them in his heart and praying for them. But he did leave them in the hands of God 
Ministry of any kind ultimately takes faith. We need to trust God and those with those we minister to. Parents need to trust God with their children. Spouses need to trust the Lord with their spouses. We need to trust the people that we have witnessed to, to God. The Lord never allows us to move very far from faith. He expects us to trust Him with the work that He has called us to do. So, Paul and Barnabas had fulfilled the work that they had been commissioned to do. They had preached, they had planted, they had appointed. This is not a flashy strategy, but I think it's the same strategy that the Spirit is speaking to the church today, and the most effective way for the church to make disciples in a lasting way. As we close, let me encourage you to think and pray about a couple of things. Pray that the Lord would stir your heart with a restlessness to invest your life in His work of preaching the gospel, of building churches, and of raising up leaders. If you're a follower of Christ, you have a role to play in that mission. And then maybe the Lord is reminding you that you need to trust Him with something that's beyond your control. Maybe you've invested the gospel in a person or in a relationship or in your children. And now you have to entrust the labor to the Lord. Pray that He would grow the seeds that have been planted and fan the flame of the gospel in your life and in the lives of those that you have shared with and those that you have invested in. And pray for more gospel opportunities to share the hope of the gospel of Jesus with others around you. Thanks for listening today. We hope that you've been encouraged in your faith and built up for another day. We'll be back tomorrow with another short devotional, so stay tuned.